to welcome all of you back to Ohio Exopolitics. I'm your host, Mark Snyder, and we're going to be talking about the Billy Meyer case this afternoon. I've got Barbara along with me, and we're going to be filling up the next two hours. The first half an hour, I'm going to talk about overpopulation. The second half an hour, we're going to talk about reincarnation. The third half an hour, I'm going to talk about a book called The Might of Thoughts that Billy has written. And the fourth uh, half an hour, I'm going to talk about religion. Um, Barbara, I think you're standing by there. How, how have you been lately? Uh, <clears throat> soggy. We've had a lot of rain. But other than that, <clears throat> fine. Sorry. That's how all right. Got to me. <laughs> I, um, I'm going to start out, and I can't remember if I, I, I've been a couple weeks away from the radio, and I've had so much going on in so many other directions, but one of the things I've been doing is uh, researching population a little bit. I mean, a lot of people will say that, first of all, they say there are 7 billion people in the world, and I think it's more like closer to 9 billion but a lot of people will say, oh, there's no overpopulation problem because you could fit all those people into several hundred square miles in, in the state of Texas. And that's true, but when you start to think about feeding all those people, that's when you really start running into problems. Let's say, for the sake of argument, there are 7 billion people on the earth, and every person is assigned a cow for their lifetime and they're allowed to eat uh, that cow over their whole lifetime but they don't get any more than that cow so let's research basically says as a good rule of thumb that two acres are needed for a cow to graze in a healthy way so it's about 1.8 to 2 acres so 11 cows for 20 acres is close to to what you need or, you know, one cow per two acres. So every cow, and we're going to give every person a cow, so that's 7 billion cows, and every cow gets two acres. So that's 7 billion times two, 14 billion acres for the, the grazing area to have the cows to feed your 7 billion people that you crammed into Texas, if you follow me so far. Now, if you look at the United States, we have about 3.7 million square miles in the United States, including if you include Alaska. Well, if you take 14 billion acres and you convert that in square miles, that's 21 million square miles. So that would be all of the square miles in the United States, in Canada, in Russia, in South America, just to have those cows to graze. 21 million square miles for those 7 billion cows, or 14 billion, or I guess it's 7 billion cows, to feed the 7 billion people, which is, it would take all the square miles in the United States, in Canada, Russia, and South America, including Alaska, to feed the 7 billion people with beef. And that only assumes that one cow for one person, uh, about a 1,200-pound steer, will yield about 500 pounds of trimmed beef. 
So what we're saying is that every person gets to eat 500 pounds of beef over the course of your life, their lifetime. Now, most people would say, wow, that sounds like a lot of beef. No, it's, <laughs> it no. doesn't. No, it doesn't really. When you when you consider the lifetime, no, sometimes 80, 90 years. Give exactly. me a break. No, no, that's true. So if you live, for example, just for the sake of simplicity, a 100-year lifetime, and you're getting 500 pounds of beef, that means you only get five pounds per year. Now, if you if you only live 50 years, then you get 10 pounds per year, uh, which is still not a lot. So, you know, a normal person, or I would say a person that eats a fair amount of food, you might more eat more like three, four pounds of beef a week. So, you know, figure that out. You know, that's... That's a whole lot more than just one cow per person. So well, anyway, then, then we all become vegetarians. Well, we, I mean, that's the thing, you know, to, in order to support the, I mean, the population that we have now, most people, a lot of people are starving to death. They're, they're, they're not eating, you know, according to Frosty Wooldridge's book, America on the Brink, there are about 4 million people that are born on the street and die on the street in India every year. There are about 8 million people that starve to death every year. So we have a really horrific situation on this planet. Now, we're so blessed still in this country that the only time people really see this problem in its magnitude is when they commute into the city to work in the morning or when they're commuting out of the city. And I, I commute into Columbus, and I go in and out of Columbus, so I see, you know, the traffic, particularly what they call Route 23 when it goes into 270, the outer belt there. It just backs up for miles. So mm -hmm. um, that's where we see it in the traffic. But people in other countries, like in Bangladesh, which is a country the, the size of Iowa, which has a population of 167 million people. That's more people than live in Russia. In a little country called Bangladesh, the size of Iowa. Yeah. So that's just, I mean, it's the third world that is so incredibly overpopulated. And that's why 10 million children die every year from starvation. And the world population is growing by 77 million people annually. Wow. It's just beyond belief. Um, I'm trying to get Frosty back on the show on a regular basis. He told me in the last show I did with him that 100,000 people are coming out into the country every month. Now, it's just stunning. And, and he says things like that, and I, I literally can't believe what he's saying. I mean, I tell him up front. He told me... Oh, that was six or eight months ago. He told me that there were 52 lanes of traffic around, and I may have told you this before. He, yes. 52 <laughs> I, lanes of traffic. I, check, I checked it out, Mark. I went and saw it. You're Did right. You see it? It's unbelievable. <laughs> yes. 52 lanes of traffic around Beijing. It's just unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. I didn't, I didn't believe him. So that's the crisis. That's the crisis. I wanted to talk about overpopulation a little bit at the beginning of the show 
um, because I just think it's just such an important problem. And I'm seeing it here. I don't know if you're seeing it where you live or not, but a lot of the companies, the utility companies, are they're cutting tons of trees down, which I hate. Oh, yeah. I just hate that. I hate to see that. Um, and then we're seeing um, all these apartment buildings go up in Columbus right now. See, they know it's coming. You know, these people are out investing millions and millions of dollars building these apartment complexes. And there used to be this beautiful wooded area. You know, as I just get on, get off of 161 and go into 270 and go into Columbus, there was this beautiful wooded area. I always enjoyed driving past it. Well, now most of it's apartments. Uh, and that's all happened over the past four or five or six months. So, anyway. Oh, yeah, they're, they're clear-cutting everywhere. It's really, it's frightening. It is. I wish I was a billionaire. Then I would just buy land. That's all I would do. I would just buy land, beautiful trees. I would just buy every nice set of land that I could find. And, and you know what, what? I wonder, why is it these people cannot see what they're doing is wrong. Well, they're looking at their, their, their bank accounts yeah. and, and basically saying, you know, with this piece of land, we can put up three or four apartments that we can get yeah. X amount of money for each of the apartments and, yeah. and who cares? Yeah, exactly. So somehow they think that we can just keep doing this indefinitely and get away with it. So anyway, um, for the listeners, the people that listen to this show later on archive or whatever, the listeners now, um, the reason I bring this up is because I study the, the Billy Meyer information pretty intensely. And Billy has always talked about population, but he doesn't get into the details too much. You know, he doesn't, you know, like I, I, I gave up the example of, how much beef 7 billion people could eat and how much space it would take to support that sort of thing. Well, and, and a lot of the contact material, even going way back to, you know, the fifties, um, they were talking to him already about overpopulation and about how the overpopulation would be literally the downfall of, of society as we know it. And we're beginning to see it. Yeah, you know, it took me a long time to be able to, to, to really see it. But you know, when I was younger, we would drive past certain places, and I would get this feeling of dread. And but I was, I think it was because I was sensing the overpopulation, but I didn't know what I was feeling. I don't know if that makes any sense to you or not. Well, yeah, I, when. For the longest time, whenever we would go down into New York City, you know, we would we would go through Westchester, which was pretty and mm -hmm. park light, and and then we would get to and cross one of the one of the rivers, and suddenly it was buildings on each side. And I used to love it because you could look right into people's apartments. I mean, the apartments were so close that you literally could see what they were watching on TV in places. And it was kind of fun at first. And then it got to be holy mackerel. It, it just keeps expanding out further and further and further. And sooner or later, it's going to be on my doorstep. Yeah. And, it, and it has. It's very depressing. 
Uh, I've always, when I was a kid, I would always feel that you go and you know you're driving along in the beautiful wooded areas and 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 the fields, and then you go into it. There's more and more houses, and pretty soon it's all asphalt and all houses and all buildings. And this feeling of dread comes over me, and I never knew what it was. You know, why am I feeling this way? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Billy teaches in the Might of Thoughts and the Psyche and the Way to Live is to look at your thoughts and analyze your thoughts and analyze your feelings because the feelings come out of the thoughts. So maybe subconsciously, way down deep inside, I was having thoughts that said, hey, this is bad. It shouldn't be this way. It's wrong. And then the feelings would come out. But I, it took me years to be able to figure, why am I feeling this way? Even, even driving in, because if you're in central Ohio, and you're going south, and you're like on 71, there's this area in the middle of the state that's completely flat. And it's mm-hmm. nothing but cornfields. And if there's no corn in those cornfields, it's just, it looks desolate. And again, I always get this feeling of welling up dread as I go through that <laughs> all the time. Because it shouldn't be that way. Because we killed a giant forest hundreds of years ago. We killed a giant forest to do that. You know? So we oh, can yeah. grow corn. And how all the living things that were killed so we could do that. And I don't know if you've ever been in Indiana, but it's it's even worse than Indiana. And, uh, you know, western Ohio and Indiana, if you go in there, you just get, I mean... Hundreds of square miles of flat, and everything's been wiped out, and they're just waiting for the next growing season so the corn can grow back up. Yeah. But it's all wrong. It's completely wrong, and it shouldn't be that way. But we don't, but here on the earth, our empathy and our moral reasoning isn't right. So, or we've lived in these conditions for so long, we don't recognize it. Anymore, And I wonder about the next generation of kids that have never been in the forest and don't even know what it's like to be in the area of life. Like last weekend, I played a couple gigs on Saturday, and one was for a place called the Farm Bureau, Mm -hmm. which is here in Muskingum Valley. Uh, Muskingum County, and it's a beautiful farm we, I went up to. Me and my buddies went up there, and we played. Beautiful. It's just gorgeous. I mean, there's places still that are the way it should be. The way that, See, the earth is supposed to be a garden. It's supposed to be this beautiful garden. It's just, and there's still a few places like that. Probably where you live is pretty, pretty much like that too, right? Oh, I'm densely forested, yeah. Yeah, but it's... Uh, so let's hope people start to wake up. But there's a kind of empathy um, that's lacking. Well, you know, I think a lot of it, too, is... I don't think we were prepared for refugees suddenly flooding into our country. Right. Um, <clears throat> I don't think that has happened before. That I can remember where suddenly there was a huge... Of course, World War II, yes, maybe then, but but 
it seems overpowering because we have people from this, you know, the southern hemisphere flooding into the United States, and and then we had people who were in war zones that were fleeing the war zones and trying to get out of the war zones. So, I I mean, the the contacts, you know, when I go back and I read them, they're talking about overpopulation. Be careful about overpopulation, and and now we're at a point where it's not. You know, certainly we're being warned about overpopulation, but people are talking about all sorts of ways of controlling population that were that are rather horrifying. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, one thing that uh, Frosty talked about in his book, America on the Brink, he says America will add a hundred million people by twenty thirty-five. Oh my God! Because of immigration, and that's what we're doing. And people that are coming in. They don't have jobs. They don't have, you know, it's not, we're not letting in PhDs. We're not letting in engineers or whatever. Well, it, not only that, but a lot of the people coming into the country um, <clears throat> have a different tradition in, in the way they live. And, and, you know, you don't want to ask them to give up their heritage or their way of life or their language, but they can't survive here unless they do. The last half an hour of the show, I want to talk about that some more. Remind me because I'm going to tie that into religion. Okay. And I had a interesting discussion last week. I think it was last week with. Have you met Delta? No. He has a show. He has a program called Nature's Way, and he studies the Meyer material intensely and lives in Chicago and recently moved an hour outside of the city. And we were talking about overpopulation a bit, and we were also talking about religion and the, the immigration. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have to correct that. I have spoken to him. Okay, good, 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 good. Good. I'm glad you guys talked. We did. <laughs> um... But he has he's has some very interesting, you know. And if you're on YouTube, take a look at Bruce Lipton's material. Have, and we've talked about that before, right? Yeah. Okay. So I'll talk about that a little bit more uh, today too. I wanted to talk about the largest user of of water, which is agriculture, which uses mm-hmm. like seventy percent of the water, <clears throat> and we're having a coming global water crisis because of the depletion of the what's called the Ogallala Aquifer. And it's a shallow water table aquifer that's located beneath the Great Plains. It's one of the world's largest aquifers. And it's under South Dakota, Nebraska, Wyoming, Kansas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Texas. And it's being depleted. It used to have an average depth of 240 feet, but today it has an average depth of 80 feet. Have you heard of this before? No, no. So this is another crisis that's coming. You know, it's really interesting, but I had a strange week because I have a lot of pressure from work and probably all these things in my mind, too. <clears throat> well, uh, one thing ahead. coming, talking about pressure. Yeah. Um. On the 11th of August, we're going to have another um, eclipse. Oh, really? That will be the third eclipse 
this month. Really? This this kind of eclipse comes once every 19 years. And every time it comes, our life changes radically. Oh, and if if you think back to 2009 to no, 1999. Mm-hmm. You'll find that 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 stuff became there was an upheaval of some sort within your life as as in society mm-hmm. and and this kind of of eclipse i forget you know which planets are you know but this kind of astrological setting takes place once every 19 years mm-hmm. and and the, the 11th of, of august is a time it's a new moon too i think so it's a time to put out and project and think about or or focus on or however you do it your intentions for your future because your life is going to change as of that that evening hmm. now is this um this always happens on august the 11th or nope just this year and how long has it been since 1999 since 1999, not only the eclipse, but the planets in the places they were in. Okay. So that cycle happens once every 19 years. Hmm. And it, it triggers upheaval everywhere. Really? Have you, have you been tracking this over the decades? Over the last 19 years, no. But, <laughs> but when I look back on where I was and what was going on in my life 19 years ago, my life did change radically. Pretty, pretty crazy, huh? Well, there, there was a major change in my life as far as how I was living it. My mother's medical condition got, got much worse, and so I was more intensively her caregiver and keeper, mm. and and my life did change. Wow. And, you know, was it on exactly the 11th? On, on there or about. And, and once that, that eclipse happens, there are major shifts. Hmm. So Interesting. Watch, watch for that. You know, when you get a chance, see if you can figure out where you, where you were within yourself, within life 19 years ago. Well, probably the last thing I want to cover for today on overpopulation would be quickly anyway how uh, deforestation is affecting us it's about forests are so critical because one of the things the forests do is they moderate the weather the forests tend to make weather more stable one of the ways they do that did you have something you wanted to say yeah i i read someplace now and i can't remember where but some some place it was it said which i think is very true is that the the trees the trees and the plant life are the lungs of the planet of course they are very much one of the other things that forests do is they promote warmth and uh, the albedo of the surface is dis- defined as the ratio of the radiation reflected back from a surface. So the forests have low albedos, means they absorb a, a lot of incoming solar radiation. And in mm-hmm. the winter, they tend to keep things warmer. Now, the other thing is in the summer, you have shade from the forest. So we have this 
moderation of the of the temperature. The other thing that the top of the forest does, the edges of the forest fragments here at the top of the forest, they cause a turbulence from the wind. And that turbulence of air also brings in clouds and tends to, to bring rain in. So the forests play a huge role. So plant as many trees as you can. I've planted eight this year. Uh, unless you have trees everywhere already, then you probably can't. But most yeah. people don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I'm in the middle of a forest. Okay, yeah. So you can't, it doesn't really matter. As far no as more trees. <laughs> no more trees needed. But um, I haven't been following the fires this year. I'm probably going to have oh, to do that. Fine. Have they been really bad? I'm, yeah. Uh, I, I can imagine. Well, you you have the fires, and then, of course, you have the volcano. Uh, in, in Hawaii? I, How's that yeah. been going? I, it's still it's still going. It's still going. Are they going to have a Hawaii, or is it going to make a bigger Hawaii? I think they're making a bigger Hawaii. Well, maybe it's a good thing. No. <laughs> no. Everyone's losing their house, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Can well, you imagine... Me- so would you would you really build a house on the side of an active volcano? People do it, don't they? I mean, it's it's. I mean, that's to me dumber than building a house below sea level in New Orleans. Yeah, I went past that when I last weekend when I was playing up in Dresden. Went to a beautiful farm there. There's a Muskingum River right there, and there's people. There's one beautiful house. Right there on the edge, but it they have built it up. It's mm-hmm. pretty high, but I remember when the water was almost took that house away. But it's been years. But yeah, there's people they live in danger zones for sure. Well, I don't, the levees gave way the last time, you know, when Katrina, the levees gave way. I don't recommend anyone to live uh you know, we're going to have to start paying real close attention to where we live. You know, Munns Park in Arizona is supposed to be a safe zone, according mm-hmm. to Meyer material. I I didn't feel particularly safe there. <laughs> I really didn't. Um, I went there twice, and both times I felt I didn't feel warm and fuzzy at all because they um, – it's hard to explain – they don't have infrastructure in Arizona. Um, you may not come across another gas station for 50 miles. Wow. I, you have to be out there and experience that because we don't have that here. You know, we you, you got a gas station every three miles usually. Well, you know, Patrick and I drove across the country um, 10 years ago, and it, it was – it was an experience that I think everybody should have at least once or twice in their lifetime because there were times when, when we would be driving all day and, you know, we were on the throughway. So there were off ramps here and there that had gas, but, but little else. And it, it, it gave me the feeling, the impression that this country is so much more vast than any of us conceive of. You know, we live in our own little town, in our own mm-hmm. little city, in our own little mm-hmm. state, but but the center of the country is wide open. Mm-hmm. And it, it was it was amazing, Mark. It was it was the coolest thing 
ever because, you know, I'm used to civilization, but to, to be driving along and see the only thing you saw were those huge windmills that were, you know, collecting power from the wind. See, see I, I feel so blessed here because I have trees, I have forests, I have lakes, I have rivers. But if I drive three or four miles, I get to the next exit. I know there's going to be a gas station. Mm-hmm. It's not that way in Arizona. No. Well, you have 50 miles of desert. I mean, that to me. See, I don't think there should be, we should be building cities like that. Like in Phoenix and uh, some of these other places. All it's going to take is the slightest little problem uh, that occurs. And people are not going to have fuel. They're not going to have water. They're they're going to run out of food relatively quickly. Well, you know that's what happens. Look at look at Japan when they had the earthquake there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it 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 is already happening. And you know the the what do they call them? The the people that are preparing for Armageddon and the preppers. Everything the, the the preppers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've. I've looked at some of those boxes of prepackaged meals and I've thought, you know, it's not a stupid thing if it has a 25-year shelf life. Right. It's not stupid to have a year's worth put aside. Right. But then you, then I stop and think, you know what? Armageddon hits, I'll be out of town. And, <laughs> and my year's worth of supplies will be sitting here waiting for me to come back and there will be nobody to come back. Um, well, you think you won't be there. Well, I could be visiting somebody. Right. It's possible. It's possible. It's and, 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 you know, it's, it's kind of like, do you, then you struggle to get back to your house and you find it looted or you find it gone or, you know, I mean, it, it, it's no matter what you do, it's hard to avoid whatever is inevitable. And the only problem is you don't know what is inevitable. People don't think in terms of more than one lifetime either because yeah, can you imagine what we may have to reincarnate into? Uh, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or if you really take it more cosmically, you know, and indeed there is reincarnation, there's nothing that says you're going to come back to this planet. Well, according to Billy, you reincarnated on the planet that you died on. Yeah. But that's Billy's information. Other people don't look at it that way. Well, other there are those that, that think there are other dimensions and therefore we may go to another dimension. Um there yeah, there are lots of different philosophies out there and and Billy's is 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 a good one, you know, um along with everything else. You know, and we won't know till we pass over. <laughs> well, the Meyer information says that in order to evolve, in order to evolve the creation, which is our universe, uh, this universal consciousness creates spirit forms, and that every human being has a spirit form. And the spirit form resides in an area of our middle brain called the superior colliculus. And the spirit form, it evolves independently through the human being's material consciousness and it comes into material bodies to collect wisdom and knowledge through these countless reincarnation so 
the spirit form enters into the body of the child at 21 days, and it brings mm-hmm. with it all the knowledge of the previous lifetimes. And the, it brings with it a consciousness and a new personality for the child. The, the subconscious is programmed with all the evolutive values from the previous lifetime. So your conscious mind, though, your, your personality is, is completely new each reincarnation. So for the first seven years of your life, and this is more of Bruce Lipton's material that I've been studying, he says we're in kind of a theta state. We're in the process where our subconscious is learning, learning, learning. So mostly we're like downloading programs, so to speak. You're observing your parents, you're observing people, and you're storing all of these behaviors. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, we store behaviors which are unproductive. We, we well, it, it, yeah, we we absorb all the behaviors, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that that parents should pay attention to. You know, lots of times they think it's just a baby; it can't possibly understand that we're fighting or that we're throwing things or that we're mm-hmm. arguing or that we're whatever. But babies absorb everything. Yes. The, the subconscious mind has a tremendous ability to learn. It's like, oh, 50 billion bits or something. It's a, compared to the, the conscious mind, it's so much more p- powerful. Mm-hmm. So this is what's happening, happening the first seven years or, or so of your life. Now, the goal or, of each reincarnation is the evolution of the spirit form. So hopefully with each one of these lives, we're going to evolve a little farther. So again, on the 21st day after conception, the spirit form comes in, plants itself in the middle of the brain, an area called the superior colliculus. It spreads its energy throughout the body, every fiber of the body, and a new personality comes in. Your subconscious has what are called these evolutive values from the previous lives. Uh, so you're, even though you're a little baby, evolutively, you're at the same level you were in your past lifetime. Now, most of all this information is still subconscious. Yeah. So the subconscious, along with the spirit form, will impulse the conscious mind. Now, these evolutive values that I'm talking about are things which correspond to truth. It might be your, your sense of, um, your sense of duty, your sense of honesty, your sense of, of love. All of these evolutive values are stored in the subconscious. Go ahead. Well, you mean your value systems and your moral concepts and things like that. Things that you've learned in your previous lives. The evolutive values are timeless. Mm -hmm. These are values like that we have about love and wisdom and harmony, your sense of discernment, your optimism, your confidence, things like that. Mm -hmm. And the evolutive values are the purest kind of knowledge, timeless knowledge. Okay? So this is what's stored in the subconsciousness. 
So this is what this is what happens when when the new child comes in. You get a new personality. The the personality is never repeated. And we're given a new personality, so we're not stuck in the same old patterns that we've had before. We get a new personality that is unburdened from the previous life. So Sometimes that's a very good thing. It's a very good thing. And the other thing that's very, very good is typically we don't remember the traumas and the experiences of the previous life. <clears throat> However, phobias have been related directly to traumas in past lives. Oh, absolutely. So, so sometimes, you know, we, we have a reaction to something that we can't explain. We just know it, 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 it's, a, it's a big reaction. Well, there's a great example of a trauma that was remembered from a previous life that led to the recovery of a lot of memories. Uh, you've probably heard this story about the young boy that was the Corsair pilot. In World War II? Um, not sure. No, no, definitely. There's a book about it. I'd like to get that book and read it someday. But this boy remembered the name of the aircraft carrier that he lived on during World War II. It was called the Potomac Bay. This is a three-year-old kid. Uh-huh. He knew the names of the other pilots that he flew with. He knew that he flew a Corsair. He knew that when he landed his Corsair, because the plane was so heavy, it would blow out the tires sometimes. <laughs> and Jeez. he remembered. Yeah, it was unbelievable, the detail. And he remembered when he was shot down, he was shot down by AAA fire that was coming from one of the islands there. And a fire ensued in his plane, and he remembers being burned up. Oh, wow. It's horrible. This little boy was going through the same, you know, he would have the experience, you know, every night. Well, his father, who was intensely Christian, had his whole world opened up over this experience. So I can imagine, yeah. Yes. So anyway, so we get a new personality. We're the ideas that we're supposed to be unburdened by these things that happened in the past. So this is a blessing. Another thing is most of the time we don't remember. Now, in later reincarnation, millions of years from now, we will remember. Mm-hmm. We'll be at the time of, uh, I think it's in the fifth stage of our evolution in, in the physical bodies. It's called the age of recognitions where we start to be able to remember this. So anyway, I was talking about these evolutive values that are stored in the subconscious. Now, I have a theory about this. And I don't know that this is true, but it's a theory. I think if you were a musician in the previous life, a lot of the things we learn as a musician are subconscious. Like when you learn how to play something, yeah, you memorize it, right? It goes right into the subconscious through repetition. And when you do that, I think that may go over as well. I don't know that for sure, but I think that explains why a lot of these three- and four-year-olds are the virtuosos, you know, where it well, takes a normal person yeah. 30 years to be able to play like that, right? I, I have a friend who was a uh, concert pianist, 
And I can remember her saying, <clears throat> she was playing one, one, one afternoon, and I asked her if she could play something that was a favorite of mine, and she said, um, it isn't in my fingers yet. That's interesting. And, yeah, that, I, I found that fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she said if it's in her fingers, she doesn't even think. It just happens. Right. And, and yeah, that could be. I, you know, it's, I, I truly believe that those qualities are, they are always carried forward. It's a matter of do we, do we have or do we, or can we find the access to them? Because I love piano music. I adore piano music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would love to play the piano, but I have never actually had lessons. And I know that it's not hidden inside me close to the surface because I've tried playing and it doesn't work. So, <laughs> but, but yeah, but you play the guitar and right. do you, do you find sometimes that your fingers go in other places than you had intended and make better music? I recorded in the studio and had things come out that never have come out before and it's been so absolutely perfect that I had to go back home and relearn what came to me instantly mm-hmm. in the studio. So oh, that's I, really cool. Yeah, it's like being plugged into a light socket. It's an external thing that's coming into you. It's almost like a broadcast that's coming in. And you just have to be open to it. Yeah, it's kind of a case of not, not of you but through you. Hey, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. you know when the ego, when you let go of the ego, magic can actually happen. Uh-huh, and I would, <clears throat> and I would think that when you're playing, that aspect of being one with the music is there, so that you are in theta, and you are open to influence from other areas of your consciousness. Right, and and like I was saying, there's this subconscious aspect now. Right now, at our level of evolution, the typical person, their spirit form is about 4.5 million years old. So we have these evolutive values that are stored in the subconsciousness, like love and honesty, respect, patience, diligence, humor. These, these are the consciousness forms. And the highest level of a consciousness form is called an essence And these essences are programmed into the subconscious of the new personality. So we come in with these essences. So what happens is our subconscious will impulse the conscious mind. Uh Uh-huh. It comes in like a, a, a hunch. So it doesn't come to you literally it's like this impulse so and this is in the spirit form impulses us too so we get these impulses from the subconsciousness and from the spirit form and and they come from the evolutive values from our previous incarnations so we get a hunch on what we should do love would be well, an example of of the, of a uh, Evolutive value, patience is another example of a consciousness form. And our material consciousness is affected by these impulses. I know you wanted to say something there. No, I was just going to say it's a kind of, it's, it's inspirational. It is very inspirational. Now, the spirit form 
is absolutely neutral in its power and energy. And the spirit form only will perceive neutral positive impulses. And the, what's, what's strange about the spirit form is it cannot think in, in creative terms. Mm-hmm. It, it has no ego. And it, it needs the material consciousness in order to evolve. Well, it also needs the physicality in order to create. Because it can't create without the physicality to be able to do the creation. Exactly. So the spirit form uh, is still kind of a mystery. Uh, a lot to learn, I think, when it comes to this level. Everything, yeah. everything that we think, according to Meyer information, is stored in the planetary storage banks. So the thoughts of your past life are stored in the planetary storage banks. And there's a unique frequency associated to these things that you, that came from your thinking last time. Now you can access, I don't know how it's done. Billy does it. I can't do it. At least I don't do it purposely. We can access these things in the storage banks. Now the other thing that can influence us is what are called the fluido forces. And I think we talked about that, didn't we? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. The fluido forces are these electromagnetic vibrations that each person emits. Our clothing, our watches would be an example. The walls of your house absorb these energies. And this mm-hmm. is one reason why creation, uh, cremation, you should not have yourself burned when you die because it destroys your skeleton. So your skeleton contains the fluido energies that come out of your mind. And these fluid, fluidal energies are a memory of sorts and they act as a back connection to the past personality. So if I have a skeleton, say for example, that is buried from a previous life of mine, say 30 miles from here, I'll just say that as an example. My subconscious may make a connection, a back connection to that skeleton from a previous life. And somehow that's a great support thing for us. But isn't there a backup or a redundancy? <laughs> I mean, um... Um, you may, there may be 20 skeletons from me previous lives that are close yeah. here. Now, if you have had cremation, if you have destroyed your skeleton from your previous life, which is a really bad idea, there it, it puts you at a disadvantage, but you can still evolve spiritually. But it puts you at a disadvantage uh, in terms of these fluidal energies and making this back connection. Go ahead. Yeah, but but not only is is your are your memories in that one place, but there is a, a, a larger bank too, so that the information is still sort, stored. It isn't totally lost in time. Oh yeah. All of your information from previous life are stored, I think in the storage banks. Yeah. In the, so, uni- in the planet, there are planetary storage banks, there are solar system storage banks, there are galactic storage banks and there are universal storage banks. So, so there's a backup for the backup for the backup. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But the connection, I guess, is is the difficulty. Okay. Always making the connection. So having the back connected 
ability to go to the skeleton is much easier, I guess. I don't know all the details where this is concerned. <laughs> but uh, the other thing that I want to talk about, uh, since I think we got about 10 minutes to the top of it. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Hopefully I'll hear a little bit of the music. Um, there are side effects that are occurring to the reincarnation because of overpopulation. And the side effect, one of the side effects is that the spirit form leaves the spiritual realm too early. Mm -hmm. And I think you read that last time too. Yeah, so, so, so there's not a, a complete download, upload going on. Right. That's a good way to put it. I like that. So say if a person lived 100 years under ideal conditions, they would be in the spirit realm 152 years processing the information from the, from the past life. Mm -hmm. Now, today, we don't spend time, a lifetime and a half in the spirit realm. We spend a lifetime in the spirit realm or a half of a lifetime or sometimes 10 years only in the spirit realm. And there isn't enough time for the programming of the new personality. So we have what you might call premature incarnations uh -huh. because of overpopulation. There's not enough time to program the new personality. Now, this has some bad side effects. Now, it leads to instability of the personality. It leads to be people becoming more likely to be addicted. It leads to... People needing more support from their parents. Are we seeing all these trends in today's society? Yeah, but but I don't understand. Um, I really, in in my thought process, is that it always has been that that the spirit comes back when it's necessary. It it, you're, it, it sounds like that there is almost a. Um, it, it it's kind of like you know the there's a conveyor belt exactly and you know you come back in you go back on and I didn't think it was that way I, I in my opinion you know in my in my what I've been taught what I've been what my belief system is is that you know we we are given whatever time we need and then we come back but but according to the Meyer material there seems to be a conveyor belt type thing going on. Because of the overpopulation, uh, the Meyer information says, for example, uh, there isn't enough time in the spirit realm. And, for example, the masculinity of males is not given enough time to form. Huh. And the, the cycles never return to normal in a planet that's overpopulated like this because too many spirit forms get activated. Now, how they know this, I don't know, but they say there are currently 129 billion spirit forms in the fine material realm around our planet. And each one of these spirit forms has had at least one incarnation. So all of these spirit forms have been activated. So there's an upset, not only on the material realm because of overpopulation, but in the immaterial side of things. So is there than a, a finite number of souls? Well, let me first keep our terminology the same because the Meyer material says the 
the soul is analogous to the psyche. And there really is no soul. Okay, is there a finite number of um, spirits? No, there's no finite number of spirits. I mean, this the the universal consciousness just creates spirit forms as as needed, and that's why we have 129 billion activated now. There's too many activated now, which is kind of strange if you think about it, because. You know, while Spirit Form A would have been spending 150 years in the spirit realm, going over all of its previous lives and programming all the new evolutive values into the new subconsciousness and, and making all the preparations, creating a new personality, creating a new conscious block, all these things going on, uh, a lot of this is, is only getting partially done. And then we come back. And you talk about not being prepared. Well, then, you know, you got supply and demand. So in, in essence, you're saying that the demand for spirits is greater than the supply. Exactly. Now, I haven't done the math yet. That would be interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It would probably get real complicated because of the time uh, that's required for preparation for the new physical life. But yeah, but it is. When the baby, when the fetus is ready, I should call the embryo because it's yeah. 21 days. When the embryo is ready, a spirit form will go in. What happens if one doesn't? There's no, there's no life. Okay, so it's a stillborn. Yeah. The heart doesn't beat until the spirit form gets in there. Because the spirit form. Well, then why don't why doesn't creation just create more spirits? Well, that's what it does, and that's why there's 129 billion spirit forms. But that but that would mean. But if a new spirit came in, then that would mean that time on the other side would be sufficient for those that were in the re, in the rebirthing process, so to speak. Well, it could be. I haven't done the math yet. I don't know how many billion spirit forms will we need in order to give everyone enough time. I don't know. I like I said, it seems like 129 billion is a lot. But, sounds like uh, sounds like they need another factory on the other side, <laughs> or just not have so much overpopulation. Yes, not not have such stress on on the whole process on yeah. the whole process. Yeah. Right, right. That's what we're having here. Um, probably get about. A few minutes until we're going to hear music. I hope we hear music. Uh, but I wanted to say we spend about 40 to 60 million years reincarnating in the physical bodies. And under ideal conditions, we would only spend about 18 million years in the physical. And the rest of the time, I think, would be in the spirit realm. Now... Those are over five stages of, of incarnation. On Earth, we're in the second stage of evolution. We're what's called rational. They say, the and say we're a rational society to a degree. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, we're, we're, we're at the stage past primitive, and we're at the stage before intelligence, which is the next phase we're going into, hopefully, if we don't destroy ourselves. Uh, 
Yeah. And then after intelligence is the stage called real life, which amazing things happen in real life. Uh, so I think the music just started. So I think we're going on break right now <laughs> for the next five minutes. So I'll go ahead and press pause and uh, we'll take a slight break, folks. We'll be back in a little bit. We are back. Welcome back, folks. You're listening to Ohio Exopolitics, and <clears throat> I am your host, Mark Snyder. I wanted to to talk in the first half an hour here of the second part of the show uh, a little bit about, I want to talk about the might of thoughts, but I, I want to bring in the might of thoughts with Bruce Lipton's material. Have you ever listened to Bruce Lipton at all yet? I haven't had the chance yet, no. Oh, my goodness. You would have him on the show every week if you did. <laughs> on your show. Yeah. I, I think you really would like him. Um, it coincides with the Meyer material so much. So if you can just bear with me a little bit, Barbara, I want to kind of give an overview uh, one sure. of Billy's books is called The Might of Thoughts. And it teaches us how to control our thoughts. Because we can have thoughts which are way negative. Most of the time, according to Bruce Lipton and some of the other research, we have about 70,000 negative thoughts a day, they say. Now, I do believe that that could possibly be true. So to bring good circumstances into your life, you need what are called neutral positive thoughts. So you need a thought that's positive. Let me give you an example, Barbara. I'm doing great at my day job. I'm doing great work at my day job. That's positive. Now, what I want to do is bring an inclusion in, an inclusion that's a little negative, which will balance that thought. I'm doing great job, great work at my day job, but they do throw challenges at me from time to time that can be difficult. So that would be a little bit of a more of a neutral positive. Mm -hmm. kind of think, thinking. That's the kind of thinking that Billy says will bring good circumstances into your life. So I've been studying this book for, I'd be afraid to even guess how many years I've put into this book. So, <laughs> so what we're doing, though, is we have in our subconsciousness all of these negative learned behaviors that occurred when we were a child, we learned many negative thoughts. So we have negative thoughts which continually come up. Now, we need to balance out all of these negative thoughts which are coming out of the emotions all the time. Fear, anxiety, worry. In the introduction to this book, Might of Thoughts, it says that the humankind is ill in its consciousness. Elizabeth Mooseberger said, so the book which lies before you is dedicated to a humankind that's ill in its consciousness so that it finds the creational natural way, which it lost long ago. 
So the creational natural way is a neutral, positive thought. So our subconscious is bringing up all of these negative thoughts all the time. So one way to balance the negative, the continual flow of negative thoughts, and you have to, like a lot of times when I wake up first in the morning to go to work, all of these negative thoughts come up. So I have to recall positive thoughts to balance the negative, to equalize the negative. So I tell myself, I'm healthy, I'm confident, I'm optimistic, I'm relaxed, I'm cheerful, I'm enthusiastic, I'm the master of my own destiny, I'm the forger of my own fortune, I create my own good luck. My good thoughts bring good feelings. My good feelings bring good habits, which bring good circumstances into my life. I'm the master of my own destiny. I do not allow my thoughts to drift. I steer my thoughts like a captain steers his ship. So the idea here is that thoughts must be neither purely negative nor purely positive. So... When I get the negative rotating thoughts, I have to bring in the positive uh-huh. to get back to a neutral equalize. That means that thoughts are certainly maintained in a positive form, but negative inclusions are allowed in them. So let me, let me give an example again. I'm doing a great work at my job. However, I know that difficult situations will arise. In this case... The negative inclusion would be, I know that difficult situations will arise. Now, the one thing that I would say is that if you're in a crisis and you're negative and you're rotating negative thoughts, focus on the positive. The goal here is to keep, to get back into a balanced state. So we're trying to add a necessary ratio, a positive to get back into neutral positive. So what happens is when you're negative, you go into what's called a sartung. And a sartung is a German word, which means to get out of control of the good human nature. Now, a standard translation of a sartung would be degeneration, deterioration, Decay. Now, Billy doesn't use it that way. He says it's to be out of control again, human nature. So, to be neutral, positive, equalized means that both the positive and the negative are brought together and, and equalized, whereby a healthy kind of progressive thinking arises. Now, so with, a, so with a balance, you have a flow. Indeed. Uh, and but without what, a balance, you have um, backup. Well, without a balance, what I notice is you have compulsion. More like the addict that can't stop drinking. When you're out of balance in your thoughts, you cannot stop thinking negative thoughts. The angry person is possessed. He's just, you know, he's just obsessed. He's repeating, repeating, repeating the negative thoughts. So when that starts to happen, 
we need to bring in the positive thoughts. Tell yourself, I'm healthy, I'm confident, I'm optimistic, I'm relaxed, I'm cheerful, I'm enthusiastic. Even though at the moment you may not be cheerful. Yes. <laughs> tell yourself you're cheerful. Force yourself to think in those terms because repeating this information is the key to getting into the subconscious. If we don't continue to repeat the informations to ourselves, then the subconscious mind will not be trained. It's just like learning music on a musical instrument. You just have to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. It's programming. It's programming. So most of my time with this material is spent programming myself so I can get back to the neutral positive thoughts. Now, I talked a little bit about the theta state, the yes. download of the subconscious, the first seven years of, of the life. And that's we're kind of in a hypnotic theta state. Where well, we let, record, me, let me let me in, insert here mm -hmm. from my from my modality. We have alpha theta beta data, you know, <clears throat> levels of frequency. And the alpha theta, theta especially, is that frequency that our our mind is on that, that gives us greater access to the spirit within and the levels of consciousness beyond. Hmm. That's why kids can, they're just aware of these things, aren't they? Yep, absolutely. Isn't that great? We yes. just want to go back to the way we were <laughs> in some ways. Well, and in many ways, it makes learning easier mm -hmm. because, because we, we, aren't, we, don't, we aren't so clogged up with so much other stuff. One of the learning modalities that Dr. Bruce Lipton talks about is to, there are certain things you can do to in, engage both hemispheres of the brain. Mm -hmm. And I guess at those first seven years of your life, both hemispheres of your brain are engaged, balanced. Yeah. But, but I think as we go to adults, we have a dominant left lobe or a dominant right lobe, and then sometimes they switch back and forth depending on situations, right? Yeah. So he's saying, like, for example, if you'll just cross your arms and cross your legs, that is one way to help reconnect left and the right hemispheres of the brain. Meditation is another way. And I had a little bit of a crisis this week. Um, which was really bizarre. I just had this super-duper nosebleed at work, and I literally had to leave. I mean, my nose was gushing blood like crazy, and I'm driving home with one hand while the blood's coming out of my nose, and I'm like... Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and I'm telling myself, okay, I am confident. I'm optimistic. I'm healthy. I'm relaxed. I'm cheerful. So I'm in need of a hospital. <laughs> Halfway through the drive home, the I stopped bleeding. So uh, the second half of the way home, I got home and I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. So I immediately went and started meditating. And I knew my body needed it desperately 
one thing I know when I'm going to that meditative state, I fall right into this deep meditation. It's so interesting because I'm right on the verge of falling asleep, but I don't fall asleep. Uh huh. And I lose all connection with time. And I remember looking at my watch before I started meditating. It was quarter to 12. And then I went into that zone. And I felt my body relaxing, going into this deep relaxing. And I felt myself healing up internally. And I decided to look down at my watch. And an hour had gone by. But I didn't know if it was five minutes or 15 minutes or an hour. It was an hour. So I, I relaxed again for a, another 15 minutes, half an hour. I can't, I can't remember when. So, and then I had to like work. I can work from home. It's no problem. And I continue work and I had to go back and meditate a little while. And now I'm pretty much back to normal. But it's very, very interesting to to notice the power of your thinking. And if I don't think, in other words, if I hadn't have had the ability to meditate, which I should meditate so much more, I don't think I would have recuperated as quickly. Oh, that's quite possible. Yeah. You know, so, so the question I have is, why do some thoughts manifest and not others? So I'm going to answer that question. That was a, you know, a rhetorical question, so to speak. Yeah. So the zeal-directed thoughts, which are mightfully used. So if your thoughts are mightful, there is a what's called the universal creation law that says thoughts enlivened with might and power will have an effect. And the same law says the, the effect of the thoughts is directly proportional to their might and power. So what happens when you start to be able to use thoughts mightfully, a self-mightification arises in practice. And the example that I just gave, you said something very true. Uh, I need, would you say I need a hospital or emergency room or something? Yes. <laughs> I probably would have if I didn't have this stuff. And I think Probably one of the things Billy says is we have subconscious thoughts. Have I, we ever talked about the, um, you know, all these people that have like the cross of forms on their forehead and blood, all these, there are all these people. I'll have to look it up in my notes. I don't know if I can. It'd take me too much time. Stigmata. Stigmata. Thank you. Thank You're you welcome. Yes. Billy says it's all subconscious. <laughs> I believe that too. And the power of our subconscious is incredible. So not only can we make ourselves heal, we can make ourselves horribly sick. Or we can cause, you know, things that seem miraculous to the negative, like, well, I guess it depends on your point of view. You know, whether the stigmata is a, it doesn't seem positive to me, but. Well, no, in a way it is positive for not only the people it's happening to, but for people who put a religious connotation to it. Right. Even though it's gruesome, right? Well, I mean, it's gruesome. well yeah, it, it's gruesome, but it's symbolic of their you know, the core of their spirituality, basically. I wish I had my notes in front of me. I'll have to search for them. 
there's some lady that I forget her name. She was, she lived in Austria or something in the early 1900s. I'm thinking, and she would bleed from her eyes when she would go into this state. And they had a photograph of her. It was probably 1930 or 40 or something. I'm like, oh, this is gruesome. Don't you think that's gruesome? <clears throat> I do, but but. When you when you stop to think, usually it happens to people who are deeply religious. Oh yeah, and and so to them it is a gift from God. It, it is a connection to Jesus. It is I know sy- symbolic of something miraculous, and therefore people will flock to them and and um, <laughs> get benefits. <laughs> get, get, well, they get benefits from them. They probably do. And and it's 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 a matter of how deep is your is your belief system. I mean, that's what faith healing is. Mm-hmm. I, I believe you can heal me. Therefore, when you touch me, my system knows that something has happened and that I am I am going to be healed. And the reality is, yeah, you're healing yourself. So, you know. okay, sorry. These, no, 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 no. You're, that's great. We have these mightful thoughts, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, might, Billy explains it this way, might uses power as it stands above power. And that power triggers or releases energy. So might is a factor, it's ruling and controlling. And the thought that we're having needs to be purposeful. Uh, totally certain, Without any doubt. Now, if you have a little doubt comes in now and then, just cancel it out keep moving. The world isn't coming to an end. It's the might of the thoughts that causes them to manifest. So, negative or positive circumstances can develop because of your thoughts. You can bring in negative circumstances. You know what the interesting thing, and I was thinking about this the other day, is you used to, on your show a lot, have these ladies that would call in and give the and, and you would give them readings, right? Yeah. And and, it, and I used to listen to these shows occasionally from time to time on Blog Talk. And the the irony of that is they can control the circumstances of their life. Yeah. And but the, for some reason we have these hordes of people. I mean, you'd have like <laughs> hundreds of people calling into your show, right? Yes, I did. <laughs> and all they had to do was take control of their own life, right? Yeah. But you, I mean, every week you have to do the same thing, right? You have to oh, oh, take yeah. control and every, of your life, right? <laughs> every, every week you would get sometimes the same people with the same question. And, and it's like you, you have the power to, to move out of this relationship. You have the power to change your job. You have the, the power to shift your life around. You have the power to change your perception of your reality. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't want to believe it. And that's part of the reason why I stopped doing it. I had created all of these codependent people. And, and it took me years. I mean, I've been doing my radio show for nine years now. Wow. And it, it took me a long time to figure out that that something I was that I started doing because I wanted to 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 supply some sort of comfort and support oh. to people going through who right. couldn't who couldn't afford to pay for an actual reading. So I was going to give it away, and in doing it the way I did it, 
I just created people who were dependent upon calling into my show to know whether or not they should flush the toilet. Exactly. That's a great way to put it. I think that's hilarious. And but yeah, you know, it took, I, I, took me a long time. I think I understand, though, why they do that. Because they now, I understand, they have a subconscious program that's playing over and over and over again that tells them that they're weak and they can't they can't do anything on their own. You know, they have some kind of subconscious baggage, some mm-hmm. kind of program that's repeating all of the time. But you know, Mark, I kept saying all the time to everyone, you can do what I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, could I tune to their energy? Could I see what was coming? Yes, but they could do it. And and it, it just it, it finally got to the point where the number of people that were dependent that were following me all across the internet, all you know, all the podcasts. Sometimes I would get the same person three or four times a week with the yeah. same question. Yeah, it's very sad. So anyway, Dr. Bruce Lipton would tell all these people to start programming their subconscious. Mm-hmm. Uh, to start telling themselves, I'm confident, I'm optimistic, I'm relaxed, I'm cheerful, I'm enthusiastic, I'm healthy, I'm strong, I'm the forger of my own fortune, I'm the creator of my own good luck. So I'm, that's what I do most of the time now. I'm programming my subconscious so that I can do the neutral positive thoughts and I can have mindful thoughts because the mindful thoughts are the ones that manifest. So if you use consciously the might of your thoughts, you'll start to see this effect. Now, and I've been doing this on my own, kind of taking a mental um, looking around and, th- and thinking of the, all the things within the past six months that I've seen that have changed because of the might of my thoughts. And it's pretty interesting to see that. It's very, very encouraging. And Billy talks about this. See, that's kind of a self-mightification. I, I, I oh, da, 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 da. let me, let me, I'll just read a little bit here. And this is on page, which one do I want to read? That's a question. I'll start on page 32. And then, um, We'll get off of this topic because I want to talk about religion. We'll tie this into religion in the second half hour of the shows, or the, the last. So it says here that the human being thinks what the human being thinks he makes real. And that which the human being thinks about himself, he or she becomes. Therefore, in any case, it is absolutely always necessary that good and positive thoughts are tended and nurtured. And that the human being also holds a good and positive opinion of him or herself. Now, Billy talks about nurturing your thoughts. You make them stronger. You clarify your thoughts. You make them more purposeful. And then he's going to talk about opinions here. Let me continue on. He says, an opinion arises from the thoughts, and these are equipped with might. Consequently, they can be realized because of that might. Therefore, an opinion is as full of might as are the thoughts themselves. For which reason it is necessary to have a realistic opinion of oneself as well as reality. Because 
If you go out of control with your positive thoughts, you will do what? You will be unrealistic, right? Yeah. You'll get like, oh, I'm the greatest. I'm the most wonderful. Who was that? Was that Muhammad Ali? Yes. <laughs> I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. So, And that's, you know, it's an interesting balance because, you know, it says it is the nature of the might of the thoughts that every conceivable thing can be brought into fruition. So as long as you're thinking positively in a neutral, balanced way, you could literally, over time, become the greatest. But it's very, very easy to become too positive, to become unrealistic. Right? Well, doesn't the ego get in there, too? I mean, okay. if you really think you are the greatest. It's fun to go that way, isn't it? Well, yeah, momentarily. but I'm but... the greatest. <laughs> But, but but I mean, if your ego starts to believe it, it's it can be a dangerous road to go down because yeah. you can go into um, out of control of the good human nature on the positive side. You can, and you you, get, you can get in a bad state here. So let me continue here. Okay. Therefore, an opinion is as full of might as are the thoughts themselves. For this reason, it's necessary to have a realistic. And that's what we're getting to, a realistic opinion of oneself as well as reality, because only such an opinion is good and positive. And just as one's own thoughts are the most important, so also is one's own opinion the most important in regard to oneself. Now, to go back to your ladies calling in, <laughs> the most important thing is their opinion of themselves, right? Yeah. Not your opinion, right? Oh, yeah. So. But 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 when you when you put the responsibility of of something in your life onto another person, you take away from yourself tremendously. Exactly. And that and, and it was kind of like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to call in and see what Barbara says, and I'll do what Barbara says. And suddenly, Barbara says is you know what's more important than 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 what is more appropriate for them, and. That's another reason I got I, I, I stopped doing the radio shows that way because it was a tremendous responsibility on me. Should I leave this man who's beating me? Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but 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 literally, you know, it, you want to get into it. There's a reason for that in you know, complete dynamic and I don't know what the real purpose of it all is and and you, you know, it's it's you put the person doing the reading into a terrible position because they don't want to be responsible for your life. Well, they can't be, right? No, but they can give the responsibility over. Exactly. And I think the pastors do the same thing. They make millions of people codependent. They do. And they make millions of dollars. So well, that the was church, the only thing you, the, the church does. <laughs> yeah, well... If you're a televangelist, you know, they're church. Oh, yeah. 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 No, I'm not talking about a Catholic priest. That's a little different. But if you're okay. one of the, you, if you're one of these televangelists, that's the only thing you were missing. You should have just had them send you five bucks a call. You'd be set. I'm bad. Sorry. Yeah, but my purpose was to give it away. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, I, and I learned that, that that was not the spiritual thing to do. No. No, it's it's 
It's very, very interesting, and maybe we can make a a segue into our last half an hour because uh, we're we we we're talking about responsibility, right? Yeah, and taking responsibility for yourself, and we're talking about the fact that your opinion is the most important. Your opinion about yourself is the most important. Well, that's why my 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 answer to a lot of these questions was I have the greatest faith that you will do the right thing at the right time in the right way. So you were helping their confidence. Yeah, I was going right back at them, you know. Which they needed, right? Well, yeah. Because they felt dis yeah. and they felt disempowered. I just right. Yeah, it's not my it's not my right to tell them how to live their life. Exactly. And you don't want to, right? You don't want to do that, right? I'm having I'm having, you know, a full time doing my own. Exactly. Exactly. And and when you get right down yeah. to it, Mark, the the spirit that comes into this lifetime comes in to develop that particular spirit, comes in for that particular spirit. It doesn't come in to to, you know, suddenly give out to other people and, and teach them and educate them and all of that. That's not the point of a lifetime. Right. Right. You don't want to make someone codependent. No. No. They have to be independent. You can help them, but only, oh, yeah. yeah, it has to be, it can't be religion, right? No. <laughs> religion, religion, what is religion? Religion, it's a cultural system of behaviors and practices. It's, it's worldviews, it's sacred texts, it's holy places. It's a rule book. It's a rule book. It's a societal organization that relates to humanity. And I, and the information I have here, uh, t there are 10,000 religions. I didn't know that. That seems like a lot to me. Yeah, and, I know. And about 84% of the world's population is affiliated with either Christianity or Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or some form of folk religion. Yeah. Um, now... One thing I find a little disturbing and a little interesting is that the play Aaron used religions to as a tool to implement on rapidly developing worlds. Now, I thought that was a little disturbing a little bit. Um, so they've actually used religion on our world. And you know, one thing that I recently learned within the past couple of years is that according to Meyer information, the Playaran introduced the Islamic religion. Now, I don't know how they do this, but they did it to offset what was happening with Christianity. And according to the, the Meyer information that Christianity would have had a devastatingly negative effect on the earth as a whole without the counterbalance of Islam. Now, I think of Islam as horrific, but there's something going on there that is interesting. So, so we're dealing with a methodology for ensuring that over a shorter development window, wildly different evolutionary paths are not established and take, taken. So maybe that's why they 
introduce religion. So let me talk a little bit about um, important aspects of earth religion. Now, this is what Billy says about religion. He says religion is a primitive machination by man to command, suppress, and exploit others, to which only life forms that are weak in their consciousness succumb. So we're talking about suppression and exploitation of others. Now, in Contact Report 10, it says religion is only a primitive machination by man to command, suppress, and exploit others, to which only life forms that are weak in their consciousness succumb. Bring this truth to the light of the world and make it known to the people. This is an additional part of our task. If this does not happen, mankind will slowly destroy itself and fall into complete spiritual darkness. This is from Contact Report 10. This is Contact Report 10. I don't don't know if you've gotten a chance to read that. Have you read that one yet? Not yet, but I may go there. (laughs) Yes, do that. It's a core of the spiritual teaching. A lot of spiritual teaching is Contact Report 10. Now, this is from Contact Report 224. Actually, we could go to Contact Report 10. I'll open up another tab on my browser here. And this has to do with the suppression of the information about Emmanuel. Contact Report 224 says, Gradually it will be so, yes. The time will become very long, however, because the Christian religion's powerful figures will try to suppress the truth by all means. In addition, believers of all kinds cannot be taught so easily. Indeed, this is true of all the religion and sects that exists on the earth. That's Contact Report 224. Now, if they're saying that, though, then you go back to the Talmud of, of Emmanuel, mm-hmm. and, you know, he was supposedly created to bring a message, but not to control. Right. So he wasn't teaching religion. No. No, he was teaching philosophy. Yeah, well, you could look at it that way, I think. I think and, so. And, and something got out of control, and... um. Somebody thought this would be a great re- way of controlling people. Let's make it a religion. Mm-hmm. Be- be- because during his whole life, he never said, you know, this is a religion, you know, take it and run, guys. Um, he basically was trying to get a point across to them as to how to live your life better. Mm-hmm. But but he, ne- he never he, – he, he was – he was an Orthodox Jew. You know, the interesting thing, one of the interesting things to me is that the way this program has changed and it's become more of a self-help program, um, I never thought it would go this route. But ultimately, learning about these other people and their advancements in technology and learning about the ancient past and and understanding the true nature of the universe and, and, and that sort of stuff, it leads back to this self-help, which is completely different than what I thought I would ever be involved in. But that's that's the true way of an adept, 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 I'm not saying it right, of an adept. 
Um, you know, it's it's learning to know yourself. It's it's look at the over the temple of um, who was it? Zeus, um, Oracle of Delphi. It said to know thyself. I mean, the message has been out there over and over and over again throughout time, mm-hmm. and yet. So many people are constantly looking to someone else to give them the answer when the answer lies within. And everybody's unique. And so everybody's answer is unique. Oh. You, you just reminded me of something. I wanted to read. Uh, hopefully. I, uh, was it here? Okay. Maybe this is it. Uh, this is from this, the book called The Psyche. Well, there's probably a, a lot of places I could stop and read here. This is from page 90. It says, What the human being has carried sufficiently long within their thoughts totally unconsciously releases within them their real consciousness direction which like a perfect automatic mechanism unfolds and brings into effect the corresponding decisions and actions according to their inner nature. Consequently, it is not of great significance for the course and success in the life which efforts are undertaken in a given case in order to tackle given tasks or achieve goals one sets. Rather, it is of a greater importance with which mental attitude, with which mental added basic attitude, the life and the task or a goal is approached. Now, this is one of the things that I apply at my work because I've I've very, you know, it's very a lot of pressure, very technical, mm-hmm. always having to solve problems. And one thing I I've learned from Billy's writings is it is of greater importance with which mental basic attitude the life and the task or a goal are are approached. So what he's saying is, and he puts it in different terms in the might of thoughts, it's more important what attitude you have when facing a problem rather than anything else. Are are you having a problem with your allergies still? Oh, yeah. I'm I'm hearing a lot of... Is it wheezing? No, it's just it's. I keep clearing my throat. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let me let me continue here. So remember, if you're if you're in a pressure situation where you have to perform, the most important thing is the attitude with which you approach the problem. If you're relaxed. If you're confident and you're optimistic, that will go farther than anything. So, in other words, we can kill ourselves trying to prepare for something. And what's most important is your thoughts, your attitude when you. Let me continue here, sis. Okay. Insignificant thoughts, wishes, and fantasies, continuously and daily nourished, become all-controlling demons. So (laughs) be careful what thoughts you give might to. 
Because you can destroy your... Th Here, I have a little thing I wrote down today while I was studying, and it says, uh, namely as a result of the thoughts which contain power and might in themselves. He or she is able to master or destroy your life. So you can destroy your life by the might of your thoughts. Oh, yeah. So be careful what thoughts you give might to, right? So go ahead. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a wonderful analogy about the barnyard and um, several of the grown-up roosters were walking around and they noticed this one little chick laying on its back with its feet up in the air and they looked at him and it was kind of like what are you doing and and the little chick said I just heard the sky is falling the sky is falling and they looked at him and said and you're going to catch it what do you think you can do <laughs> And the little chick said, I do the best I can. Well, that's interesting. So that, so that you know, he was very confident that he was going to catch the sky. He had some strong little legs, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but it, it's true. If, if, if I'm preparing for a show or, or, or an interview or something like that, I read... I prepare myself as best I can, but I always trust it's going to be fabulous. That is great. That is the most important thing. So it's it's kind of like, you know, I've I've read all five books that this person is has written. I am as prepared as I can possibly be, and I just know it's going to be a great interview. And usually it's a great interview, but it doesn't go into any of the five books. But but Sometimes that happens. I've noticed that to me, too. Oh, isn't yeah. That, isn't that weird? You go off on some tangent for a whole hour, and you're like, dang it, I had 20 questions that I wanted to get to, but you didn't and, get to them. And it was probably a really great show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had that happen many times. And, and, and it's basically, I'm confident that, that I am prepared for whatever comes my way. That's and, great. And, and knowing that gives you the confidence to go anywhere. Only strong, broad-minded, and courageous thinking leads the life upwards, whereas weak, narrow-minded, and faint-hearted thinking oppresses, breaks, and finally destroys everything. Mm -hmm. So only the human being who is carried upwards by the tremendous momentum of his or her mighty thoughts is not left behind halfway through life. But whosoever, on the other hand, rather prefers to be concerned with depressing and pusillanimous thoughts to brood over experienced defeats and disappointments cannot free themselves from them. And so that's what basically these women that were calling in here so all the time, they couldn't free themselves from their disappointments, could they? No, and they were addicted to believing that someone else had more power than they did. And someone else was the reason that things didn't go right, right? Yeah. Or whatever. No, it's it's just it it to me it was I am not serving humanity. I'm doing harm. <laughs> and it that, was like Isn't it interesting how you can do harm and and not mean to? You know, and and it was like, you know, with with a kind generous spirit here I am twice a week doing 2 hours each night trying to help people and and in essence I created codependence. 
And, you know, and now I feel guilty because they all are codependent on having a psychic tell them what to do or how to do it. And, and you know, taking my show and putting it in a different direction, um, you know, they, 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 to this day, I, I put out, you know, um, notices that I'm going to be doing a radio show. And I'm, if, if it's one, it's 10 or 15, there are people sitting there waiting to ask a question and wondering when I'm going to get around to doing readings. And I've been doing interviews for four or five years now. I really think we should do a program on your show where I can give them readings. But instead, I'll give them the might of thoughts information. Would that be a trick? Would that be terrible? Well, can you make can you make it short or do you have to pontificate on what you said? <laughs> I can keep it brief. That's what I if, have to do is keep it brief. If you can keep it brief, like like, you know, a hundred words or less. Well, I, I think the, the, the time that, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back, I had Barbara Hardy on my show and she's a very good psychic in New York city. And I told everybody, have a good question. Make sure it's spiritual. Um, because you got two people here that, that have between them over a hundred years experience. So make sure that your question is of, of a spiritual nature so that, so that, you know, we can give you the best that we've got. Mm-hmm. And the very first person I called on the air and I had her name and I said, hi, Scooby-Doo, you're on the air with us. How can we help? And she said, the first thing she said was, and she, this is 20 minutes into the show. So she's had time to figure out what she was going to ask. Right. It was, oh, let me see. I don't know. And, I'm th- and, and, and already the hackles are going up on the back of my neck. Right. And she said, okay, I got it. I'm moving. And I don't know what to do with my couch. Oh. And that's that going to help. Sh- that's going to help the rest of the audience, isn't it? Isn't and it? <laughs> so I said, "Are you very serious?" And she said, "Yes." So for five minutes, we tried to give her all sorts of different possibilities of things she could do with her couch, and she kept negating every one of them. No kidding. And I finally said to her, do you have any newspaper at hand? And she said, yes. I said, can you crumple it up and put it on the couch? And she said, yeah. And I said, do that. And she did. And I said, do you have matches? And she said, yes. And I said, light one and throw it in the middle. And she oh. said, that'll burn my couch up. I said, yep. And I hung up on her. Did you? Did and that, you? Was, that was the last reading show I did. Really? My goodness. Everybody thought it was a great answer, but <laughs> I thought it, it's kind of funny, actually. But uh, yeah, no, I, I just it was like you're, you know, if if you are really gonna act on what I say, then you deserve to burn up your couch. Yeah, hopefully and, it wouldn't burn down their house too, right? Yeah, <laughs> it it sounded to me as if the couch could have been thrown out anyhow. So you know, it was not like it was a really expensive couch. She she couldn't sell it. So it was a matter of what was she going to do with it. Right. She wasn't going to take it with her, and she couldn't leave it behind. And, you know, it was like – and, and then we went on, and everybody else, actually, the whole rest of the show, they had wonderful spiritual questions they were asking. Oh, that's good. But but you know, I, I think they were all afraid I was going to tell them where to go if they brought something forward that wasn't a spiritual question. But – no, that was that was the end of it. That was the last time I did a reading show. So again, right along these lines, 
it says here on page 92 of the psyche. And this isn't even from the might of thoughts. It says, whoever is continuously afraid of evil, mischance, and other terrible thing, literally conjures them up yep. until they strike and destroy him or her. With worries, only new worries are bred. That's true. What you perceive, what you focus on is what you draw to yourself. And whoever sees only grievances in the dark side of their surroundings, they themselves will be caught in the grievances and on the dark side of life. With irresistible magical gewalt, the thoughts attracts that on which is it is directed. As soon as someone negatively thinks about an abyss, he or she plunges down from the dizzying heights, is smashed and crushed, and falls prey to the sucking power of the bottomless depths, which in reality is only the reflection of his or her thoughts. That's so, we create our reality by our perception of it. Isn't that so, Go ahead. That's great. And, and so often... People will say, well, I did all the positive affirmations and then nothing happened. And, you know, when, when you ask them, how do you do it? Well, I said it once before I went to work and once before I went to bed. And then the, the whole rest of their day evening was spent in the downward spiral of this isn't going to work and this is crap and I don't like this. And they don't understand that it, it, it's meant to change the way you live your life. It's it's meant to reprogram the subconscious mind. Yeah, and and if you don't live it, if you just think it, it just stays in your head. You have to live it. Yeah, you have to fight the battle. Sometimes twenty four seven. Absolutely. And sometimes you go through them negative times or difficult times where your thinking is just running out of control in terms of the negative. Yeah, but, you know, your affirmations said over and over and over again begin to change the way you impact your reality. So, oh, yeah. you, be so you begin to, even if at first you didn't believe it, you be it becomes a belief. And, and mm. you know, you say it over and over and over again. It's not just once here and once there. Oh, yeah. It, I say it all the time. <laughs> so, I have to. So, so that it, it really does become your way of life and therefore how you impact your reality changes. Oh, so true. You know, it's very interesting the way, the, the way you were telling the story of how you, you know, you literally uh, dedicated a portion of your life to helping these people. You spent two hours a week or three hours a week or whatever it was. And you suddenly realize, wow, my goodness, I'm making these people codependent maybe yes. weakening them well you know it's interesting i had a similar experience with with my cats you know i one the one cat i found down at the bottom of the hill he was living like under this little trailer you know the camping trailer my neighbors had i don't know why they never noticed the cat a beautiful calico cat and eventually she followed me up the hill and i put her in the garage whatever well, the neighbors right next to us, they had issues or whatever. I mean, the one dog, literally, they kept it in a cage all the time, and it got to the point where it couldn't walk. It was terrible. And the oh. cat, the cat, they weren't feeding the cat. 
Yeah, the dog story is so terrible. Eventually, I think they had to put it to sleep. This is just terrible, the cruelty of people. So this gray cat, I watched him. Like, I would see him, like, every day or two or whatever. He, he looked like he was getting smaller by the day. And I'm like, holy crap, they're not feeding him. And eventually, one day he came up to the house, and, like, he looked half of the size he was two or three oh. weeks ago. And I'm like, oh, my God, this cat. So... I put that cat in the in the garage too. Now I got two cats. Well, it's a male and a female, so pretty soon we had four babies. So, Aww. so I got six cats. I got a whole cat family, and I'm like, well, I'm still glad I didn't allow the other two to starve. You know, even if we made a mistake here, now we got six cats. So everybody got fixed. That was an ordeal, but we got that done. Then they started, you know, attacking the birds, attacking the the uh, rabbits, everything. The total environment was like under siege by these six cats, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I realized the same thing. I was trying to help, and I also kind of created a problem because they were killing birds, they were killing rabbits, the mice. I wasn't too worried about. I didn't like them killing chipmunks. So I had to come up with this, and I know I'm running out of time here, but I had to come up with this pattern of, you know, I would leave them in the garage certain days and let them out certain days and only let them out at certain times. Like I wouldn't let them, I would not let them out until like 930, all the wildlife had gone back, you know. Yeah. Or I bring them in by 3 o'clock so Mm -hmm. they don't go in hunt mode in the evening. So just like you did with your situation, I realized, oh, my goodness, I had good intentions, but I had a, there was a negative side effect that I didn't realize. So I think there's a lesson there. I don't know exactly what it is. Well, I, I like the fact that you became a cat person. Do they get along with the dogs? They, they have learned they're, they're doing very well. The one dog, the big dog, they really, really like. The other little littler dog, he's trying to adjust to them. So he's doing okay. He's just wild. So <laughs> that's my cat dog story. Well, I, th- I will definitely schedule a show where you can do readings. Oh, my goodness. I hope this isn't something that's going to backfire. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it will, but I think it's going to be hysterical. I, I, will, I will back you up. Oh, we got the sound. Thanks, folks. It's been a great show. I appreciate it, Barbara. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.